Hi there, it's Kanika. This is an episode from the That's Total Mom Sense archives, which date back to 2019. If you're new here, there's a chance you haven't heard this one yet. And if you've been tuning in since the beginning, you'll surely be able to gather new ideas this time around. I know I have. I hope you enjoy it. On to the show. Hi, I'm Kanika, and you're listening to That's Total Mom Sense, the podcast, where I interview public figures on their life lessons in parenting, legacy, and built-in sixth sense. Hey, what's up? I'm Kelly Rowland, and you're checking out That's Total Mom Sense. Hi, this is Chelsea Clinton, and my experience on That's Total Mom Sense was fantastic. It's me, Bobby Brown. Can't wait to share my story. Thank you to my guests, brand partners, community, and you for making this show possible. Episodes release every Thursday, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can join my tribe by logging on to thatstotalmomsense.com and by following me on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at Kanika Chadda Gupta. Now let's dive in to today's episode. So when you think of tissues, you think of Kleenex. When you think of photocopies, you think Xerox. And when you think baby swaddle blankets, it's Aiden and Anae, hands down. These companies have dominated the market share and have essentially become synonymous with the products that they provide. And I am so, so honored to have with me the powerhouse behind the iconic baby lifestyle brand. She's a serial entrepreneur, author, wife, mother to four daughters, and thought leader, Reagan Moya Jones. Thank, Thank you, you so for much having for joining me. us. Thank you. So Reagan Moya Jones is a CEO and co-founder of Aiden and Anae. She founded the company with an initial investment of $15,000 in startup capital in 2003 and grew it to a $100 million business. The company sells over 2,000 products in 68 countries and has clients like Beyonce, Jennifer Garner, DJ Khaled, Neil Patrick Harris, and the Duchess of Cambridge, to name a few. Reagan was named an Ernst Young Entrepreneur of the Year in 2014, and Aiden and Anae was named to the Queen's New York Business Fast 50 list for three consecutive years and was recognized for a 338% growth rate and reported revenue of $41.7 million in 2013. Reagan most recently co-founded St. Luna, a premium moonshine brand. She sits on the board of directors for Hopeland, a nonprofit created to pioneer innovative solutions and build new partnerships to prevent family separation, reunify children, and mobilize a movement of families to support children who are growing up outside of family care. She is the author of What It Takes, How I Built a $100 Million Business Against the Odds, and lives in Brooklyn with her husband and four daughters. So for my viewers and listeners out there, I'd like to share how I met Reagan. Um, so she was a guest speaker at a summit held by Hey Mama. And Hey Mama is essentially a badass league of mom bosses. Um, we have uh, members like Rebecca Minkoff, um, Melissa Benache of Baked by Melissa, um, Ali Webb, the founder of uh, Dry Bar, are a few members on, on Hey Mama. And so anyway, so Reagan was giving um, an intimate talk, a breakout session at this summit and she was incredible. She shared her entrepreneurial and her motherhood journey. And I think what I remembered most was how honest and raw 
and and witty you are. <laughs> um, I was too nervous to come up to you um, after the session. I didn't want to bombard you. And so instead, I just sent you an email thank you note. And I was um, so, so touched when I got an email back from you. And, and we got on the phone and we were just gabbing as though we were girlfriends. Um, and I just, I love how um, humble you are. I guess... Let's start from the beginning. Take us back to your childhood. What was it like growing up in Australia? I had a pretty fabulous childhood. I, my parents didn't have a lot of money. They were very working class, but I don't ever really remember wanting for anything. You know, my brother and sister and I played sports. We had lots of friends. It was, we were always together as a family. I, I would say I had a pretty fabulous childhood, actually. Nice. So in your book, you share that in your 20s, you worked at a bar in Santorini to fund your backpacking trip through Europe. I did. (laughs) How awesome is that? Have you always walked off the beaten path? I have always done what I've wanted to do, despite it not always being considered probably the right thing to do. For the most part, I think I've gotten it right. Um, So you take pride in the fact that you're an ordinary woman. You say no B-school grooming or Ivy League degree, and you've seen monumental success. Um, So many women can identify with your story, and, you know, we find you to be an inspiration. So um, you started your career in sales. You had this, like, discouraging, disparaging boss, Mm -hmm. um, and you found this newfound passion in your side hustle. After I was sort of done gallivanting around Europe and and having that fun, I came back to Australia and fell into sales, which is I worked for a pharmaceutical company, Schwarzkopf, the hair care company, did lots of different things in sales. And then when I moved to New York in 1997, I didn't have a visa and a friend of mine got me a job in a conference company actually selling sponsorship on conferences and they they sponsored my visa and that was how I ended up being able to work legally in the, the in States. The States yeah. And I was with that company for about a year and then I moved to The Economist where I spent 10 years uh, working before I started Aiden and Danae. And I did start Aiden and Danae whilst I was still working full-time at The Economist. And yes, I did have a number of bosses throughout that 10-year period where they just, they just, for whatever reason, didn't think I was capable of doing any more than the sort of basic sales role that I was doing, despite the fact that I kind of felt that I could. Yeah. Uh, but I was, it was obvious there was no real advancement opportunities for me at The Economist. Mm-hmm. And I'm very grateful for that now in hindsight, because it was the frustration of that, which also I think motivated me to actually dive in the deep end and start my own business, which ended up being Aiden and Danae. Yes, absolutely. When did you have your aha moment? And, you know, how did Aiden and Danae? Well, it was really when I had Danae. Okay. Because I went looking for these muslin blankets that were very common back home in Australia. Mm -hmm. And I was genuinely shocked that they didn't exist here not only did they not exist here no one had ever heard of them no one understood what I was talking about so I ended up getting my sister to send me the Australian version so that I had them when I had a nay and then once I started to use them with a nay I realized how indispensable they were and I thought 
how can every Aussie have this wrong? And I'm sure if I introduced it to American parents, they would feel the same way. And that was really how it all got started. Wow. Um, so it was literally you and a friend, yes. right, who had... I had a business partner, mm -hmm. that's Aidan's mum, Claudia. Yes. So we started the business together, but she uh, decided not to stay involved and we had a very unfortunate parting of ways uh, in 2008. Okay, yes. okay. But when you came up with the concept, um, what made you just take this huge risk and and say, we're just, we're going to go into business together and do this and, and source the right materials and, and really um, create a niche for ourselves in this market. It wasn't like I strategically went, Claudia should be my business partner. Uh -huh. It was the fact that she lived in LA and we were very good friends. And I used to stop on my way back from Australia and stay with her so I could break the trip up yeah. when Anae was a tiny baby. And we just happened to be together when the moment hit us that sort of went where we sort of went we should really do this and Claudia actually said well why don't we just become a distributor for the people who are already making them in Australia and I said well no why would you do that because at the end of the day it's a piece of cotton right fabric and I'm sure we can work it out how hard could it be it yeah. ended up being very hard but, <laughs> but we worked it out yeah um can you walk us through a little bit of the supply chain how you source the best materials mm -hmm. um and you know just kind of set your brand apart it took a long time to find a manufacturer and when we did there was a lot of back and forth trial and error to get the product right and given I didn't have any technical experience with textiles it was really just, no, that's not soft enough. No, that's not a tight enough weave. No, that's, and it was really just that back and forth wow. until it got to the point where I was comfortable with the quality of the product to actually go to market with it. But I think what's so unique about your brand is that you've kept the pricing so competitive. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, um, a first time mom in a, in a, you know, in middle America mm -hmm. can buy Needin and A and so does Kate Middleton, you know. Right. So that's, that's amazing. How did you kind of really um, zero in on what that perfect price point was and, and make it kind of aspirational? Our intent was to never make this a high-end product, a celebrity-driven brand. Mm -hmm. That all sort of happened by mistake, really. Okay. <laughs> a great mistake, yeah. but it happened by mistake. Fortuitous. So, uh, but when we initially set out to, to, to build the brand and, and introduce the product to the market, we wanted the four blankets to be $40. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to actually keep it under the $40 mark. Okay. $39.95 was our, we did everything we could, but it just didn't work in terms of margin that we needed to be able to run a viable business. Right. So when we first went on to the market, the four pack was $44. So I just felt $11 a blanket was still a pretty reasonable mm -hmm. price. Yes. You know, it was a it was a conscious choice to make the product as affordable as we could because I really, really believed that muslin was the only thing you should be wrapping your baby in. Mm -hmm. And I also knew as a mum myself that you needed a lot of these blankets. You used them for so many different things. So I really wanted them to be affordable and accessible to as many mums as 
we could possibly make them affordable too. Becoming a new parent, we have sleepless nights as it is. That's something you sign up for. But you had this business on the side. So did you just kind of run on an empty tank? How did you do it? I really did. I, I slept no more than four hours a night for a couple of years, wow. which I don't recommend. But I did that consciously because I didn't want to leave my day job because the money that I was making at my day job was important to my family. Right. And I also didn't want to put stress on a startup business in that I didn't want to be desperately trying to be able to get money out of it. I wanted to be able to put all the money that we made back into the business for mm -hmm. as long as possible. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was the fact that it was a conscious decision on my part to choose sleep deprivation over any kind of financial pressure, both for my family and the business, that I just didn't really complain about it. Wow. It was really hard. I'm not, I don't recommend it, yeah. but it was a conscious choice on my part. So I just kind of got on with it. My goodness, that's that's really really inspiring. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was only or when, stupid, yeah, <laughs> like depending on which way you look at it. Sure. <laughs> well, it was only when you hit the one million dollar mark mm -hmm. that you thought, okay, this is going to be my full time gig. Right? Why is that? So I had read a statistic that only two percent of all women owned businesses ever get to a million dollars in revenue. So I personally set that as my goal, wow. that if and when I did that, I would allow myself to leave the day job and focus on Aiden and A full-time because at that point I will have, have accomplished something that statistically most others don't. So from 2000 to 2017, women-owned businesses have grown 114% compared to a 44% increase among all businesses. Women make up to 40% of entrepreneurs in the U.S., and um, women of color have grown four times that rate at 467%. Um, despite this level of growth, um, like you mentioned, women-owned firms have only received 2% of VC funding, and 75% of those firms um, won't reach 50K in revenue annually half won't even make 10k mm -hmm. so why do you think this disparity exists in the first place why are we like literally fighting against the odds I still think that there is a stigma around women and women business owners from a funding and and everything standpoint which is why it's so wonderful that there are now a lot of women who are creating their own funds specifically to support women entrepreneurs so that's a wonderful thing but we've still got a long way to go yeah. And uh, there is, I think the statistics are a little bit skewed in that, and I talk about this in the book, that a lot of women choose to start their own business, not to build a $100 million global business, but to afford themselves some flexibility in their workforce. Because unfortunately, that's also a very big and real problem right. that we don't have flexibility as women when we decide to start a family and we're working in corporate roles. And a lot of women don't leave because they want to, they leave because they feel they have to, right. to be able to juggle being a mum and earn an income. Right, exactly. So a lot of women start their businesses for that, which is why... Uh, which is more a freelance kind of situation and 
their intent is to never scale and right. to never, you know, look for major capital investments and things like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I would love to see a lot more women realise that they can scale a business and be a mum. I'm yes. living proof of that. Right. But it, it is very much a personal choice and I do think that the numbers, because a lot of freelanced businesses get lumped in with businesses like mine just because a woman starts it and that does skew statistically the numbers. Yes, that makes sense. Um, I think that, you know, we are often faced with this trade-off, mm-hmm. you know, and with, um, you know, as as working women, when you have a child, you have to factor in childcare. Mm-hmm. And so many women decide, you know what, my earning capacity with the childcare, let me just like walk away from my job and, you know, look, I've worked for many years for free Mm -hmm. because I have four children. So I need a lot of help. Yeah. It's hard enough for their mum to manage four of them. So I was not going to just dump that onto somebody else. So I had two people helping me with my girls. Mm -hmm. And so I literally worked for free. Yeah. And I, but that again was a conscious decision because I had a bigger plan and right. and I knew that eventually the the tables would tip in terms of the money that I was bringing in as opposed to what I had to pay for good childcare for my for my girls. Right, absolutely. So tell us about your village. Who was in your village that was helping you? Um, there is no way I could have built my business had I not been married to the type of man that I was married to in Marcos. So I have to give him a shout out. Yes. And then obviously I also had, because all my family is in Australia, I had no family to lean on here. So I had two people that, that worked for me and Ramona, our our real like nanny yeah she uh she's been with us for 12 years now so my youngest children don't even know life without Ramona in it so again it was only that I was so comfortable that my girls were being taken care of the right way that it enabled me to be able to to do what I did so you just it's impossible to do what I did without a whole lot of help and support. Yes. It's just impossible. Yeah, I know, absolutely. Yeah. And what about the team that you created at Aiden and Nene? I feel like you surround yourself with really good people, reliable yes. people. Um, how do you advise a woman who's you know got entrepreneurial aspirations to do that? Well, for me, especially initially, it was super important to me that I really liked the people that were coming into the company because you spend a hell of a lot of time with those people when mm-hmm. you're building a business from effectively the ground up. Right. So the the qualities that I looked for in people, especially in the early stages of Aiden and A, were they had to be smart. Right. They didn't necessarily have to be skilled in a specific area. Actually, for the most part, the first sort of dozen employees wore multiple hats. They weren't really specialised in anything. They just did what needed to be done. Yeah. Uh, they had to have a really good work ethic. They had to have a sense of humour. <laughs> okay, great. And they had to have humility. Yeah. So I looked for more human traits than I did business and professional 
successes and experience and I really do attribute the incredible growth and success of Aidan and A in no small part to the fact that they were the type of people that I brought in very early on to, to build the business with me. There's a quote that I'd like to share by Denzel Washington. Um, he said, at the end of the day, it's not about what you have or even what you've accomplished. It's about what you've done with those accomplishments. It's about who you've lifted up and who you've made better. It's about what you've given back. So um, if you can talk about Hopeland. Super, super proud of my involvement in that and in awe of Deborah Lee Furness and Nick Evans, the two people who founded it. Mm-hmm. And children, babies, very family, very close to my heart. I'm very passionate about that. Mm-hmm. So this is a wonderful uh, not-for-profit that was started to try and reunite families because I think statistically, and I'm going to get in trouble if I get this wrong, but about 80% of all orphans in the world have a living parent or relative. And the fact is that these orphans get put into orphanages Mm -hmm. not because there isn't anyone to take care of them, it's because they don't have the means to take care of them. And these people think that it's a better option to have their children sent to an orphanage than it is to try and raise them in there. So we're trying to change that dynamic um, and keep families together where we can and in a situation where that's just not possible, find another family unit that makes sense for that that child to, to be raised in. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah. So what are some of the challenges and the pitfalls that you faced and how did you get back up? The biggest challenge I think was time and the juggling, which is a very real thing for all mums, mm-hmm. right, whether it's your own business or you're a working mum, trying right. to, to find the time to dedicate to your family and your career is tough. Yeah. So time is it was definitely a challenge because – there's only 24 hours in the day and one of you, so you need to kind of make peace with that and do the best you can mm-hmm. within those confines. So from a purely business perspective, it was access to capital or lack thereof. We couldn't keep up with the demand because we just didn't have enough money to 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 keep up with the demand and yeah. scale. So uh, working capital was a huge, huge issue in the business for many numbers, number of years, which I think is safe to say a very common thing for a lot of entrepreneurs and startup companies. Sure. Um, That, yeah, I'd say from a personal standpoint, it was was the juggling and the time management and from a business standpoint, probably the biggest issue, uh, the hardest challenge was access to capital. And then especially as we scaled, being able to find the right people to be involved in the business. Because one thing I know for sure, it is all about the people you employ at the end of the day. You Mm -hmm. can have the greatest business, the greatest product, the greatest strategy, the greatest processes, the most money. But if you don't have the right people in the chairs, you will fail. I truly believe that. So as we got bigger, it definitely got hard to continue to hire people that were of the caliber that the people were 
that came into the business in the very early stages. Right, right. Um, and what was it like kind of taking it from a homegrown business to working with all these mass retailers and distributors? Success is also driven a little bit by a series of serendipitous moments and luck, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So the buyer at the time for Target happened to be a mum who loved the Aiden Nay product, had used the boutique version of the product and reached out and said, hey, we would be interested in looking at it for our stores. Mm -hmm. And so that was really uh, the tar that, that's how I ended up in Target. But prior to that, I had also started to receive feedback from mums that the product was expensive. Now, I thought $11 a blanket was really, but for a lot of mums, that $44 is a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So, again, I felt so strongly about muslin and the fact that every mum should have it for their babies mm -hmm. that I then went about creating a product that I could sell for less than $44. Okay. But that I still was proud to have the Aiden and A brand on. So that's how the diffusion range that you now find in Target and Bye Bye Baby and mm -hmm. when Babies Are Us was still around, right. Babies Are Us, mm -hmm. that's really how that got started. It wasn't about, oh, how do I canvas every store out there, which to be clear, I wanted to do that. Yeah. But the real motivation for the diffusion range was the fact that I was getting feedback from mums that the product was expensive and they loved it. But Yeah, and you paid heed to that, which is, which is great. Um, and what about Behemoth Amazon? Oh, well, <laughs> well, when I started Aiden and NA, Amazon didn't run the world. Right. So that's happened since then. Mm -hmm. And yes, the retail landscape is night and day yeah. compared to when we started Aiden and A 12 <clears throat> years ago. Mm -hmm. And that is in no small part due to Amazon. Right. And, uh, but I get questions from other entrepreneurs starting business and they all, Amazon always comes up. And, and my, my opinion on that is you'll never beat them. Yeah. You can't beat Amazon. <laughs> so you have to find a way to join them. Right. Which is which is what we did at Aiden and NA. Yeah, I know that's smart. <laughs> okay, um, so how has you know entrepreneurship kind of changed you? I think I was always an entrepreneur mm. when I look back. I just didn't define it as that, but I always sort of wanted to be the master of my own destiny and, and do my own thing. Um, but changed me actually I don't think it's changed me that much at all to tell you the truth I was at a wedding actually fabulous story yeah. our first Aiden and A wedding so these two people met at Aiden and A and Aww. they got married on Saturday night so that I felt like a proud mum yes yeah and, and then they'll uh, be using your products when they have yes <laughs> exactly it's gone full circle yes, really full yeah, circle right <laughs> so um and I was there with some people and people that I'd worked with at The Economist who mm. have known me for now 18 years, so knew me before Aiden and A and through Aiden and A and now after Aiden and A. Right. And the, this particular friend, Scott, said, you're exactly the same. Not, you know, you're exactly the same Reagan as I met you know, 17 years ago at The Economist mm -hmm. as you. So... 
I guess I guess my that was a long way of saying I don't think it's really changed me at all. Oh wow, I love that. Um, what about motherhood? How has motherhood changed you? Oh, that's changed. Uh, yeah. me. <laughs> Actually, I'd go as far as to say motherhood saved me, Ooh. not just changed me. Uh-huh. The girls gave me purpose. It was like I was instantly cured of any me drama once I had an A. And, wow. um, you know, at the end of the day, as much as I need to fill me up, and I absolutely do, which is why I work and why I continue to work and why I went to work despite the fact that I was doing it for free while I was paying for childcare. Right, right. Because I need that for me. Yes. But at the end of the day, my core is all about being a great mum for those girls mm-hmm. and guess the verdict's still out on that because they're <laughs> still young so we'll see. Tell us about your four girls. Was it like little women? Well, they're, <laughs> <Is it? laughs> they're feisty man they yeah. make me look like a shrinking violet but um, <laughs> which is a wonderful thing for a mum to know that they're going to be totally no one's going to be messing with the Moya Jones girls but yes. it makes for hard parenting. Okay. So um, but they're you know I'm very I'm most proud of the girls out of any of my accomplishments and still I get more joy out of other parents telling me what kind, considerate, well-mannered children they are. Yeah. I get more joy out of that than, you know, securing a million-dollar target end cap. Oh, my goodness. So they are my, they are my, you know, North Star for sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But they're, you know, they're challenging. I've got two teenage daughters and anybody who has teenage, well, most people who have teenage daughters know that that's a minefield. You yeah. never know who you're going to get that day. <laughs> um, what are their so, age groups again? I mean, their um, ages? They're 15, 13, 11, and 9. Oh, so wow. Okay. I'm right in the thick of it. Yes, so, yes. All very different, very different girls, mm-hmm. but all strong and kind of heart. And so they're going to be fine yes. despite the fact that they're going through – Two of them, at least, are going through that crazy teenage. I laugh at them because you know they'll they'll be in a moment and upset about something. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh look, it's going to be okay. And they go, you don't understand. I go, oh yeah, because I've never been a fifteen-year-old girl before. <laughs> of course, how could I understand? Yeah. I no, I just I just came into the world fifty. <laughs> exactly. Like you know, it's like. Um, oh my goodness! But yeah, so they but they're good girls. We're yeah. very lucky. Oh, they have a great mom. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, I guess if you could just describe to us what to expect, because um, this podcast is you know geared to a lot of first-time moms. Um, I mean, like myself, I feel like I'm in the thick of it. I have two-year-old twins and yeah. a ten-month-old. Twins, my and, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I was just thrown into the deep end, and um, I feel like I've grown and learned so much mm-hmm. um, at the same pace that they're growing and surprising mm-hmm. me every day. Um, and it's it's tough. I mean, the sleep deprivation, so humbling to hear you say that you powered through that mm-hmm. while, you know, dealing with... Um... I wouldn't say powered through. <laughs> there were many you fetal chose... position moments, trust yeah. me. It was, it was not pretty to watch. Yeah. I, sleep deprivation, people need to remember, is a form of torture. Yeah. They use sleep deprivation <laughs> as a form of torture. Right, right, yeah. That's real. Yes, you know, yeah. If you can get a good night's sleep... 
you can deal with pretty much anything. Exactly. If you are sleep deprived, the smallest things can turn into the biggest issue. Yes. And that's what we face as mums and that's right. really hard and, you know, it's, um, it's what most of us go through. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. So that those are kind of the challenges that I'm facing now. I can't wait to get over this hump. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, what are some things to kind of look forward to, watch out for? When we do have, you know, preteens and, yes. and teens. So for me, a huge milestone was when they got to an age where you didn't have to constantly be watching them or they could fall off a terrace right. or down a flight of stairs and two, you're well in them. That is yes. tiring because you're running around after them. You can't relax. Yeah. So once they all get to the age of about, five or six when mm-hmm. you're not in that constant, oh my gosh, are they going to injure or worse, kill themselves right. because they don't understand danger in that respect. Exactly. That's a huge milestone mm-hmm. where you can actually sit with your friends and have a glass of wine or yes. a cup of coffee or whatever it is you do and you're not constantly on edge about them injuring themselves. Yeah, exactly. So you got a few more years to get to that. <laughs> and then it's pretty good. They still, and I'm talking from my personal experience. Yeah. I know everyone's different because I do have friends who have teenage daughters who just are perfect and don't give them any grief. Mm, so mm-hmm. I feel like they did something in a past life yeah, to right. deserve that. <laughs> so once when the kids are little, it's basic needs, right? Mm-hmm. They they need you. They as long as they're being loved and fed, right? And you're making sure they don't kill themselves. Yeah, exactly. You, you're a good mum, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Whereas I'm finding it much more stressful, and in a sense, it's good that the the thick of Aiden and Anae is past me mm. uh, because I find the girls now that they're preteens and teenagers need me more than they did when they were little. Right. Because right. now the emotional component comes in and that is tough to navigate at times. Yeah, no, I can imagine so. Um, what's it like raising your girls in a generation where your social media and I mean it just it, no one's Horrible. used to it and you just you're in this completely new paradigm and you're trying to figure, th- figure things out so well I and again I'll probably get in trouble for this <laughs> I think social media is literally sucking at the soul of our society yeah, yeah I, I, know, I, I, I dislike agree. it on a level that's not you know, I I was told when I started the book that I had to um start an Instagram page. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. Why do people need to know what I, you know, and I feel for entrepreneurs now in this social media madness that Mm -hmm. back when I started my business, it was just enough for me to work hard on my business in the background. I didn't have to be a for want of a better word, celebrity right. whilst I was doing it. I right. could just build a fabulous business and I didn't need to be out there promoting me mm-hmm. as well as that. Yeah. I look at the especially the women who are starting businesses now and the fact that 
the Instagram and social media component is as much work as the actual building of the business. Absolutely. I just don't know how they do it. Yeah, it's a popularity contest at the end of the day. You just, someone can instantly look at the numbers, whether it's a quality or not a quality product. Yes. Um, But yeah, it's just one more element to to deal with. Yes, and a a whole other level of stress, right? Right. And for the most part, I call bullshit, right? Mm -hmm, Because mm -hmm. it's all curated and... It's not, you know, I know for a fact, I look at my friend's Instagram and and I know what's really going (laughs) on in their life. I'm like, oh, that looks idyllic, but it's not. Yeah. You know, so, and I just don't, I think it's, I think it's putting unnecessary pressure on us all. And that's, and that's to go back to your initial question. Mm -hmm. That's what I constantly try and tell my girls. It's not real. Yeah. It's not real. Don't hold yourself up to that. Right. You know, and I don't like that there is it's so easy for them to access too much information. Mm-hmm. Their little brains aren't ready to process the stuff that they can get access to now. Yeah. So, um it's definitely it's definitely tough and yeah. but as I said, I just I I'm constantly saying to the girls, it's not real. Mm-hmm. It's all a load of rubbish. Right. Those people don't look like that. That is not their life. You know, it's all curated. Yeah. Just do you. Yeah. You know, and, and try and stay off it as much as you can. Right, right. And and for the most part, our girls aren't mad social media. They're on it, of mm-hmm. course, but not like some other kids I know. Yeah. Can you share some of the sweet moments and anecdote of you know of your family that that's kind of got you oh my gosh happy proud mom (laughs) I well when when I was replaced as the CEO of Aiden and A by my investors that was a moment where the girls really stepped up for me Mm. emotionally um and you know they actually came the two blocks up the road to pick me up from the office the last day I walked out of it as the CEO when the new CEO was was starting okay and I was upset yeah and I allowed myself to be upset for a whole 24 hours and then I decided I was going to shake it off and get on with it and I got you know, different responses from the girls. Amelie Rose, the nine-year-old, well, now nine-year-old, she was seven at the time, she said to me, um, Mummy, I think you're a really good person giving that man your job. Oh, oh, my goodness. Wrote me a card and everything. Yeah, it was beautiful. So the girls are very supportive and and I'm a very, uh, I'm a very, transparent Mm mum if I'm upset if I'm angry you know I don't I don't believe in hiding that from the girls because life is hard right and wrapping them in cotton wool making them believe everything is all great all the time is not going to help them in the long run Mm -hmm. so when I'm upset or stressed or frustrated they know yeah Um, and they are actually and I've not really thought but they are extremely supportive when they can see that I'm struggling with yeah. stuff and to be clear for all the mums out there I don't put my stuff on my children that's <laughs> not what I'm saying right right but you know if I'm having a really bad day and and they'll say to me are you okay mummy oh. and my response to that is yes sometimes grown-ups have stuff go on that that is hard or upsetting and mm-hmm. I'm going to be a hundred percent fine but today I just don't feel great right right that's that's so sweet that even a seven-year-old can show that level of 
empathy and compassion, yeah. you know, that's, good yeah, that's really touching. Kind hearts, as I said. Right, right. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, what parent wants anything else, yes. you know? That's, that's all that matters. That's a really wonderful legacy to leave. Which is, again, what I say to them with the whole social media thing. Right. It's about what's in your heart, yeah. not what this looks like. Be, exactly. be a good person and you'll be fine. Parenting is exhausting and honestly, after a long day, many of us feel like we need a hard drink. Mm -hmm. Is that what led you to moonshine? (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the irony. I'm not a liquor drinker. Okay. (laughs) I'm a champagne and wine girl, but Uh uh, the the moonshine, there are more similarities to the St. Luna moonshine and muslin than people would think off the top of their head yeah basically we saw an opportunity in a an under I don't want to say developed but in a category within a much bigger industry which is the liquor industry Mm -hmm. that there wasn't a lot of innovation going on in right and so we just saw an opportunity to to disrupt that with a a premium sipping moonshine which is not (laughs) what moonshine is normally used for it's normally used to just get people drunk really quickly yeah (laughs) Uh, but we wanted to elevate the moonshine experience and introduce it to a whole new audience Mm -hmm. and a whole new customer so we've we've gone after the five-star restaurants and bars and we're currently served in Jean George mm-hmm. and we're employees only in New York City and so we've we've just come at it from a different a different perspective but it's a good thing that I'm now in the moonshine business mm-hmm. and not in the champagne business because if I was in the champagne <laughs> business I'd be drinking all the profits right and right nothing would ever get to market <laughs> so but we've only St. Luna's only been on the market for about six weeks okay so it's very very new but wow. so far so good people are people are responding to it yes so it's a great thing that's that's amazing um tell us about like the story there's a little serendipity in that too where you found someone who is kind of pivotal in this it's a great business. story it's yeah. a long story so I'll try and give you the cliff note version sure <laughs> uh, I was I had to go down to our factory in Memphis to try and we couldn't get the fragrance right on our skincare range for Aiden and an A and so I called the factory and I just said you know what I'm just going to come down there and sit in the factory till we get this right and about three months prior to that happening, my my business partner, David, in St. Luna, and I, he came to me and said, hey, I've got, I've got a new idea for an, another business. Mm-hmm. We should do moonshine, to which I said, you're a mental person. Yeah. Like, well, I've got, but I eventually clearly got there because here I am, the co-founder yeah. of a moonshine company. Wow. And... Um, and I said to him, look, we can elevate it, but we don't even know how to make shitty moonshine, let right. alone the best moonshine anyone's ever drunk. Sure. So there's a huge, big leap Learning there. Learning curve, yeah. <laughs> and so he said, but you're still, you're open to it. I said, yes, I guess where I'm open to it. So yeah. fast forward three months later, I'm down in Memphis in the factory working on our, our fragrance for our soaps and shampoos and everything. And I start talking to the guy down there who's running the the project for Aiden and A. And I was there for a couple of days, so we we ended up chatting a lot and I said to him, So what exactly are you? Mm-hmm. You know, that you make soap. Right. And he said, <laughs> I'm actually a chemical engineer. 
Okay. And I went, oh, I said, I'm married to an engineer. He's an electronic engineer, though. And I said, but my brother and sister-in-law are chemical engineers, but they're mm. in the petroleum industry. Mm -hmm. they, they live in Kuwait, actually. Okay. And I said, so soap. I said, that's interesting. I said, so what? Was soap a passion? And he laughed. He said, no, Reagan. Soap is not my passion. Soap is my day job. Moonshine is my passion. <sighs> So <sighs> it was a it was a universe moment, slap upside the head. Yes. I kind of looked around for hidden cameras. Right, angels singing. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, and now Scott is our distiller and it turned out that he had been perfecting this particular moonshine recipe for over a decade. Oh my and just goodness. didn't sort of ever take it to the next stage of getting it out on the market. Yeah. So we did that and here we are with St. Luna. Wow. wow. So and and he has made an incredible liquor because we've already won two silver and a gold medal in world spirit competitions and That's everything. Incredible. So it's it's the real deal. It's a great it's a great drink. Yeah. Oh I can't wait to try. Yeah. <laughs> no longer should have bought a bottle. So we could have been yeah. drinking cocktails while I was I'm gonna do that now. Any interview I go on, I'm just gonna bring my own St. Uh, Luna and we can drink cocktails. Right. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, so somewhere in all of this journey that mm -hmm. you've, you've um, you know, illustrated for us, you've written a book, What I It have. Takes. And I want to just read um, two of the, um, you know, the testimonials and reviews that you have on it. Um, in What It Takes, Reagan Moya Jones shares an inspiring story for anyone who wants to change their career play by their own rules and build a successful business in the process. That was by Rebecca Minkoff. And um, a little determination, sass, Aussie grit, self-belief, and a sense of humor and dreams come true. Congratulations on achieving enormous success, giving back, sharing the journey, and inspiring others to do the same. And most importantly, enjoying the ride. And that's by Deborah Lee Furness, um, the actress and founder of Hopeland, right. who you work with. Who also just happens to be married to Hugh Jackman. Oh, okay. <laughs> Very cool. Um, so, yeah, tell us about the book. Well, I got approached to write the book over three years ago. So it was quite the process. Mm -hmm. And my initial reaction was, no, I'm not writing a book. Yeah. Because I didn't think I had like the content fodder, to write yeah. a book. Okay. I'm, I'm very honest <clears throat> in the book and I make it very clear I don't have a business background. I dropped out of university. I don't have a business degree. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I sort of, the way I built that business was one foot in front of the other getting out of bed every day and just dealing with whatever it was I had to deal with and learning as I went along. I, I say that, and it's really true, as ridiculous as it sounds, the, the first probably four or five years of Aiden and A was built on common sense, hard work and Google because wow. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, yeah. so I just had to work it out as I went along. Mm -hmm. And so I initially said I... I shouldn't be writing a business book. And then my now agent said to me, but I don't want you to write a business book. You know, here are the 10 steps. I want you to tell your story, mm -hmm. tell it honestly. And when I thought about that, I thought, well, I really truly believe that if I can do it, anyone can do it because I'm not special in any way. People think I am now because I've accomplished that. But if you met me 12 years ago, no one would have bet on me to build a $100 million business, mm -hmm. I don't think. Okay. So uh, I wrote the book in the hope of inspiring 
other entrepreneurs, primarily women, mm -hmm. although some men have read the book and very much enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And it was my hope that by reading this, anyone who's sort of on the edge about whether or not to do it because they don't have all the answers and don't know exactly what they're doing right. will be inspired to sort of take their own leap because this book is is evidence that you can do it if you want it badly enough. Yes, no, and I can I can vouch for that as well. Um, I, I just want to keep it by my bedside and read excerpts to kind of inspire me and invigorate me. Oh, um, yeah, because it's just, it's something that I feel all moms kind of grapple with. They have a moment in time where they wonder, um, what's my purpose? Mm -hmm. And it could be when you're curled up on the floor, nursing and crying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and you've just kind of provided that, mm -hmm. that guide that you have your purpose and, yep. and you just, you just have to take that risk and, and do it. Do it. And yeah. that's what makes me sad because met a lot of entrepreneurs over the, the last 10 years, the journey through the, this journey. And I can't tell you how many people come to me with their ideas and then they just don't do anything with it. Mm. And I think the biggest, the biggest issue we have out there is that people have great ideas and because they don't think they have the exact path forward and the exact experience or knowledge to actually make that a viable business, mm -hmm. they just don't do it. Um, okay, tell us what your mom sense moment, the, this podcast is called That's Total Mom Sense. And, um, you know, essentially, it's like um, my coin term for the sixth sense that mothers mm -hmm. have. So did you have a moment in time that you could share with us where you trusted that mom sense of yours? In my heart, I felt being transparent as their mom and letting them see the good and the bad was the right way mm -hmm. to raise our girls. Oh, wow. And so I would say that that was very much an internal decision to, to do that, despite the fact that I do second guess myself sometimes and say, oh, you know, should I be letting them see mm -hmm. that I'm really, you know, kicked to the floor right now and right. struggling. Mm -hmm. um, so like I said, verdict's out on whether or not that was a good or bad thing to do. I'll, I'll talk to you in 20 yeah. years. And hopefully they're not all in like expensive therapy. And <laughs> no, no, I doubt that. Um, no, I think it's, it's great to hear that, that, you know, if vulnerability is what makes us human right. and being able to share that with your child, mm -hmm. um, you know, will allow you to establish this connection that it's like we all go through this right. um, and it doesn't matter what age or phase or circumstance that is, you know. Mm -hmm. And that life is tough. Yeah. Like it's, and I do wonder how the kids who have had everything handed to them, because mm -hmm. there's a lot of them out there. Yeah how they're even going to cope as adults. Yes. I yes. really genuinely yeah. am like, how's that going to work? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, because I think back to when I was a kid and nothing was handed to us. Right. You know, we simpler were, times too. Was simpler times, yeah. definitely. Yeah. But aren't you sort of curious to see how the next generation is all going to play out yeah. in terms of just keeping the world going? It's true. No, yeah, yeah. And my husband and I kind of talk about this all the time. I think... Um, when you've gone through some sort of adversity, it makes you 
a stronger person and it builds character. Mm -hmm. And so we're already trying to think of ways. <laughs> Just mini adversary. Yeah, it's like you've got to get over this. Life, yes. Yeah, this yeah. hump. And then well, I'll tell you you'll learn one. something. Announce at breakfast one day that once they're through college or if they don't go to college, mm -hmm. that they have to pay to live in your house. Oh, that yes. That was a huge big deal at our house when I announced that to everyone. I was uh -huh. having a moment. I think Anae wasn't doing a homework and I sort of in a very grandiose, look around. <laughs> this is not yours. Yes, This yes. is dad and mine, and dad, right? Yeah. You're allowed to live here because we let you live here, right, you know? Right, You have to understand that one day this is not yours anymore. Yeah. You know? and, and it was so funny. And our <laughs> nine-year-old who, again, this was a couple of years ago, this happened, so she would have been seven. She goes, wait, wait, what do you mean? We're not going to be able to live here. Mm. I go, no, baby. You'll always, you'll always be able to live here. I said, right. but there'll come a point in time where you have to pay to live here. <laughs> it was their heads spun around oh, on their goodness. shoulders. They're like, what is this crazy woman <laughs> talking about? But I explained to them that nothing in life is free. Yeah. And, you know, while you're ch children, sure, it's on dad and I, but once you're adults, right, it's on you. Yeah. So yeah, they yeah. throw that out and see how they go when they're old enough to. <laughs> exactly. Maybe not when they're three. But, no, but yes, yes, no. I, I completely subscribe to that. Double digits. Yeah. It's a good one to just drop yes. into breakfast conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Shock them a little bit. Let's not forget our quote of the day. What is a quote that you can share with us that you live by? That's easy. The first quote that I put, I'm a big quote person. Mm -hmm. and the first quote that I put on our conference room wall in our Brooklyn office was Leap in the Net Will Appear, which is a John Burroughs quote who's an essayist. And I really believe that. I really believe that just... The way I built the business is testament to it, right? I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but I was just confident that if I put one foot in front of the other, the net would be there if I tripped and fell. Yes, yes. Oh, agreed. Um, where can we find Aiden and Anae and St. Luna and mm -hmm. your book and everything? So Aiden and Anae, I'm sure most mums know where to yep. find that. It's, yes. it's pretty much everywhere. Yeah. And AidenandAnae.com, obviously, is the website. Mm -hmm. St. Luna is stlunaspirits.com. Okay. Mm -hmm. And within the next couple of weeks, you'll be able to actually buy it off our website through a, an online retailer called Reserve Bar. Okay. And then bars and restaurants primarily in New York City at the moment. That's our focus. Okay. And then me and the book, you can just find at reaganmoyerjones.com. Wonderful. Okay. Um, do you have any other parting thoughts to share with, you know, our listeners? Just it goes back to if I can do it, you can do it. If you're sitting there going, I don't really know how to build a business. I don't really know what to do next. Just one step at a time, one day at a time. And that is truly how I built Aiden and A. And so I really believe that the message here should be if this very average person can do it, anybody can if you're prepared to work really, really hard and you want it badly enough. Wow. Thank you so much, Regan. Pleasure. This is such a treat. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Whether you're a suburban mom listening in your Odyssey or a city mom with your earbuds in as you're on the subway, I want to thank you for tuning in. 
If you have any suggestions for show topics or guests um, who should be on That's Total Mom Sense, let me know. Write to me at that's total mom sense at gmail.com. And remember to always trust your mom sense. Stay strong, super mamas. See you next time. That's Total Mom Sense.